the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Monday, and because it's Monday, I probably should have done this program about 9 o'clock in the morning when I had some energy. Hey, thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as the announcer just said, this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart, 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great uh, Sunday in church yesterday. We did here at Calvary Chapel. We were really crowded. Um, It's neat to see people coming and just wanting to hear the Word of God. Um, Hope people got saved where you are. And... uh, Everybody who gets saved, Jesus is coming just a little bit sooner. Um, Tonight here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio is our next to last Sweet Summer Devotion uh, for the ladies. Mary Ellen Klassen is going to be sharing her heart with you. So that is tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Uh, it's it's much better to be here in person, ladies. That's when you can participate in the Q&A that follows, and it's always good. That's where most of the ministry actually occurs. But you can make it a family affair. We've got the uh, men's and youth Bible studies going on at the same time. Uh, so get here, bring your family, and enjoy what God is doing. Okay, let's get to questions while we await any phone calls that might be um, forthcoming. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one is from Kay. Uh, Good day to you, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, I have a question about creation, probably brought on by the recent amazing pictures of the universe from the Webb telescope. Kay, before I even get to your question, you know, I'm just thinking that those pictures are just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Imagine we're going to see all of this stuff, personal tours, Jesus taking us around. Um, I, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. The, the the greater the telescopes that are created, the more insight we get and the more depth that we get. And there are things out there that, that science never even imagined before. It's an amazing, amazing thing uh, to see. So I'm with you on that one. Then here's a question. In verse 1 of Genesis, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. After that, it's the account of God specifically creating the earth in seven days. My question is, does that mean that the vast universe was created before and may be a lot older than the earth? Kay, I'm not a scientist. I don't know the answer to that question. The way I read it in just the Bible exegesis is that at the same time, God made them both. Um, I think the, the, the 
retreat into the the specific seven days on Earth. And actually, we've got we've got outer space uh, there. We've got the sun and the moon and the stars and all those things. So I think God made him at the same time. I think he made him in a literal seven days and or six days rather. And the seventh day, of course, he rested uh, 24 hour days. And um, I think that's that's as much as we know for sure. So I take this to mean, Kay, that they were made at the same time. In the beginning, God created those things. And literally, uh, and this is hard to understand for us, but literally, this is before there was a beginning. That's when God created the heaven and the earth. So when God said go, that was the beginning. And whenever that was... Um, how spectacular it must have been. Imagine the power it takes. And that's the power that is at our disposal. That's the power uh, that we're going to be able to to observe firsthand forever and ever and ever. Uh, one other comment about the, the telescopes, Kay. I, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are worried about heaven being boring. Um, believe me, with just the pictures that we got from the... Um, telescope, uh, the, the web telescope pictures, um, there is no chance that it's going to be boring ever, uh, full of pleasures, full of wonder and full of awe. So I, I don't, there's just some things that we don't have the answers to, and that's one of those things. Thank you, Kay. I marvel at this creation. I really do. And one of the comment, just generally speaking, not to Kay, but to everybody, um, you know, with all of the climate alarmists, especially now, I mean, it's getting insane and absurd. Um, but with all the climate alarmists, uh, all we have to do is remember that that Jesus is in control of all these things. And there will be an earth here. I read something today that said uh, we have 12 years left before, I think this was Neil deGrasse, uh, 12 years before we're past uh, a, a stage where anything can be salvaged. Uh, climate alarmists have been saying those kinds of things forever. But remember what the Bible says. Jesus holds all these things in his hand. And that's why if you believe in the word of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the living word and the written word, uh, we don't have to worry about all the things that the rest of the world is worried about. Maybe that's why Jesus said so many times, do not worry. Okay, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Henry, also from our email inbox. Um, Hi, Pastor On. I was reading the book of Jonah. Every time I read an Old Testament book, I try to look for Jesus. In Jonah, it says that Jonah didn't respond for three days. Many Bible scholars believe that Jonah didn't respond because he died and rose again. Do you think he died for three days and rose again? Henry, I have really, really dug into this. And personally, I do not believe Jonah died. I believe he was sustained. He is a type of Christ in that he would be in the the belly of the fish for three days. And in the same way, Jesus said, I'll be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Um, uh, so he was a type of Christ in that sense, but I don't think he died. Um, I, I can tell you that, uh, J. Vernon McGee adamantly believes that Jonah did die and was risen to life. Um, but I, I think that's an imposition on the text. I wouldn't argue with J. Vernon. He is so much smarter than me. It's neat because he doesn't sound smart. You know, he's got that southern country bumpkin accent. But he was a brilliant man, a brilliant scholar. Um, Hebrew and 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 uh, Greek scholar. Uh, he, he just, he really, really is smart, or was smart. He's smarter now because he's with Jesus. Uh, but he really does believe that uh, that Jonah was dead. I just don't see it uh, in the narrative. Uh, I don't think that we have to make that kind of an imposition on the text. Uh, and while it might preach good uh, in, in a certain circumstance, uh, I think the book of Jonah is so full of wonder that we don't have to worry about anything else. So, uh, Henry, I don't think so. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, who's smarter than me, Probably, or he absolutely thought so, and uh, the chances of him being more right than I am, um, because he's smarter than I am, are pretty good. So that's just for whatever it's worth. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. 
Here's a question from our mobile app. This one is from John. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, I have a question about Isaiah twenty four twenty one. When Isaiah refers to the powers in the heavens above, who is he speaking of? The fallen angels and Satan. Um, yeah, let's go back to, to verse um, um, 19, John. Um, we're, we're talking in this passage about the judgment on the earth. Um, it says the earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy it is, the guilt. Oh, so, I'm sorry. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that falls never to rise again. Now, we know obviously now that great earthquakes um, are, are in the future for this world. Uh, Jesus is going to set foot in the Mount of Olives and it will split. Um, the great city will be divided in two. Uh, and this picture of a drunken man is appropriate because the world is going to be literally hung over with terror. So then he switches from the earth to the heavens. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. And this is the ultimate injustice. This is when the devil and his fallen angels will will get what's coming to them. And the evil uh, and powerful of this world will get theirs. So whether it's on, on earth or in heaven, no one escapes. Now, when we talk about stuff like this, it sounds pretty bleak. Um, but the reality is every one of us here on earth, we have an instinctive longing for this kind of justice. We want to see evil punished, and God, if he's truly holy, must punish evil uh, once and for all. Uh, It says in verse 22, the next verse, John, that they, and this is the fallen angels uh, and Satan, they will be hoarded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon, which is a reference to the bottomless pit in the center of the earth. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. And, of course, the after many days is going to occur uh, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth uh, when, in fact, uh, the, the, the devil will be let loose, uh, the, 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 the powerful, incorrigible angels, fallen angels who will have been let loose to wreak havoc on the world, uh, they will all be thrown into the lake of fire. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly talking about the uh, fallen angels and, of course, Satan. And again, remember, justice has to be accomplished. Justice isn't accomplished right now because God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. But justice, and, and we don't have to apologize. We've got the nature of God. We've got the person of the Holy Spirit living in us. And in fact, what we want to do is we long for justice. We long for a time when nobody who's guilty gets off and when nobody who's innocent gets convicted when uh, the, the, your ability to afford a lawyer doesn't determine whether or not justice is going to come. And for a thousand years, John, we're going to see justice meted out in perfect holiness uh, as Jesus establishes his throne in Jerusalem. Good question. Thank you about that. Uh, I, I really loved the study that we did in Isaiah. It took me a long time to get there, but I really, really enjoyed it. Good questions. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question that was sent in. It's very timely. I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, he or she says there's a lot of info on the net about the Bible um, and not taking it literally. Uh, what should I think about this? Anonymous, what you ought to do is throw it in the spiritual trash can. The Bible And this is where people are unwilling to go. You know, these are the people that are saying, uh, and they're deconstructing their faith. And and what that basically means is that I'm trying to find a way to sin and make sure God's okay with it. And and they come up with a theology that that permits that. They, they, They change what the Bible says or what it means to accommodate their feelings, their emotions, uh, and in fact, uh, we know that's not that's not intellectual honesty. So, th- basic logic: either it's true the Bible as Jesus said it was, or it's not true. 
And if it's true, then it has to be without error. Now, that does not mean that over the centuries there have been some minor uh, copyist errors. That's not the point. But there are no contradictions. There's no uh, stories that are being told. I actually had somebody send me uh, today something about uh, the story of Mary and Martha. And, uh, you know, it was a sort of a feminist approach. And, and they said, well, well, it wasn't that Mary. It was Mary Magdalene, and, and they convoluted things. And all they're doing is trying to come up with a narrative that that fits their worldview. And uh, Anonymous, that's why I say if the Bible is not literally the Word of God, then it has zero value for us. It's not a book that has a lot of good stories or good morals or principles. It's either true or it's not. And if it's not true, and Jesus said it was, if it's not true, then we're we're all lost we're all lost and we've got these modern scholars who are trying to to do what the the devil tried to do in the garden of eden did god really say uh, i actually received a, a an email from somebody today um uh, trying to convince me to to look at a book that that suggests that the bible is not to be taken literally um uh, and, and there's all kinds of arguments. But here's the thing. People that want to be convinced that the Bible is not true are easily convinced. Now, the the person who sent me this email um, really does have a wonderful heart. But, but this person is also not being intellectually honest. You have to decide. And, and we do that. You know, God bless Paula. I love her so much. Um, she read the Bible. She assumed it was true. And she's believed it her entire Christian walk. I wasn't like that. I had to really dig in and find out for myself. And the people now that are trying to uh, demean the literal value of the Bible, those who are putting the words uh, of Jesus um, in a different place than the words of the rest of the Bible, they don't understand how to study their Bibles. Um, all they're doing is recreating God in their image. It makes them feel bad that God is going to, I talked about justice in the last question, it makes them feel bad that that uh, uh, justice demands that people who don't receive Jesus Christ are going to spend eternity in hell. They don't have to, but that's the choice they make. And that hurts their feelings. So they just decide that it doesn't mean that. Jesus talked about the eternality of torment more than any other character in the Bible. And I don't know why that's hard for us to understand. So we've got to get to a place where we say this is the Bible, it is God's word, or it's not. And the reality is, if it is not God's word, we have no standard. If it's not literally true, then our book is no better than the Quran, no better than than any other religious writing. I mean, Joseph Smith uh, suddenly gets more credibility if the Bible is not literally true. So these are the things that we've got to make a decision, and we have to do the work. And we'd rather not do the work, because as you now know, Anonymous, uh, our world is all about feelings. And... The Bible has the answers to those things. The minute we decide the Bible is not the Word of God, then we're the ones who, practically speaking, write our own Bibles. And that's when we're in real, real trouble because there is no standard for truth. Truth can then be a variable in the sense that it's different for me than it is for somebody else. And... I can't imagine explaining to Jesus why I didn't believe the word that he validated in his own ministry. So I would stop reading it. If you are curious and you have questions that need to be answered, God bless you. But really dig in and find out. And um, I want to say this and, and hope I'm not misunderstood. The Internet is not the place to do study. So please, 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 you decide whether the Bible's really true 
and do it on the basis of research. And I will make this promise to you, as I have on this program many, many times, anybody who really wants to find out if the Bible is true, if they pursue it diligently, the Lord will speak to them. For me, it took about three months, two and a half to three and a half months uh, before I was completely convinced. Uh, All my questions got answered. And I haven't had a single moment's doubt uh, in the 30-plus years since that that uh, time that I really dug in to find out what was true. Good questions. Here's a question from Rose. She says, Is it true that some Christians have more anointing than others? Um, no, Rose, that's not true. It is true that some Christians have more gifts than others. We know from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's verse 7, uh, we know that uh, at least one spiritual gift has been given to everybody. At least one. I personally think that more than one uh, is available to everybody, but I don't think because a lot of us aren't faithful with the one gift that we have, um, uh, I believe that we God doesn't give us another gift. Um, why would He give us one gift, uh, a new gift, if in fact uh, our our other gifts um, aren't being used for God's glory? So it's true that some Christians have more gifts. Jesus told a parable of the talents, and we're not talking about worldly talents, but a parable of the talents, where there is a, a one talent uh, given, five talents, and ten talents given. Um, uh, that's just the way it is. Some people have so many gifts. We got people in our church rows that I am so envious of. I mean, I, I pretty much have one gift. I teach the Bible, um, but but there are other gifts uh, that, as we use them faithfully, uh, God's able to help us grow. Paul talks about using gifts in proportion to your faith, and I think that's also a key. But in terms of anointing, I think what you're speaking of probably is the way that uh, faith and prosperity teachers talk about anointing. That's simply not true. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, Rose, you've got every bit of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get, that you're ever going to need. And nobody has any more than another. Uh, Some have more faith. Some use that faith and find out they have more gifts. Um, but uh, in terms of anointing, um, God is an equal opportunity, a Holy Spirit giver. So I hope that answers your question. Along that same line, Rick wants to know, what exactly does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Uh, Rick, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean to pray in tongues. Now, if you are praying in tongues, it's a gift God has given you, then you're praying in the Spirit or by the power of the Spirit. But that's not what to pray in the Spirit means. To pray in the Spirit means to pray in the will of God, to pray with the right heart and with the right motive. Uh, I did a Bible study yesterday, Rick, on the value of prayer in terms of our ability to be able to produce fruit for the Lord. I I can recommend it to you. You can go to uh, calvarysa.com and listen to it or watch it. Um, but to pray in the Spirit simply means to pray in the will of God, to pray for the glory of God, to pray with the right heart and with the right motives. So you're not praying so that you get something, but that, that God gets all of the glory. And in that particular instance, um, Ray, it's it's a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled prayer. Let me also say, Rick, one of the, one of the great, ways to learn how to pray in the Spirit is to read and then pray many of the prayers in the Bible. You can go to uh, Daniel's prayer uh, in chapters 9 and 10 of his prophecy. Uh, You can go to Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, That's a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled prayer. In the New Testament, you can read Paul's prayers to both the Ephesians and to the Colossians, um, uh, especially in, in, in Colossians. Uh, it is just magnificent. Uh, and you can, you can take those prayers and pray them and amend them slightly 
to to meet the need or the, the the circumstance that you're dealing with, and and you know you're praying in the spirit because it is the spirit of God that wrote those prayers. So that's what it means to pray in the spirit. It does not mean I want to repeat. It does not mean that you're praying in tongues. That's simply a gift that God has given you by His Spirit, but that that's not what is intended. Jesus said that the Father is looking for those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we need to focus on. Um, by the way, Rick, that message I did yesterday was really um, um, an answer to um, why our prayers aren't being answered. Um, what are we doing wrong or or why aren't we producing fruit for the kingdom of God and uh, Jesus is very direct and and I I hope uh, it was a a wonderfully hopeful uh, exhortation Uh, yesterday I was hoping that everybody would have left Calvary Chapel of San Antonio excited about getting their prayers heard so uh, that's at calvarysa.com Hey, we're halfway done. Phones are quiet. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 let me start this half with an apology uh, this is for you erica on Friday, and I just forgot about it, my producer just reminded me, on Friday uh, you called in with a question about uh, about young girls and transgender uh, dysphoria, and and I, I couldn't recall the name. I had the last name, uh, but the, the, the young woman who is ministering, not a Christian, not a Christian, her name is Helena. H-E-L-E-N-A Kirshner, K-E-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. And she is a young woman who through her high school years uh, was transitioning, taking hormones, things were happening to her body. Uh, And she talks about uh, the immense pressure um, on young young girls uh, to... to, um, publicly identify with with the gender that is not theirs and uh, the things that they're doing to their body. And again, she's not a Christian, but she is wonderfully effective, uh, has a lot of information, and because she's experienced this, unfortunately in her case, um, the the hormone therapy didn't didn't go on too long, and she's okay. But uh, a lot of our young women especially are uh, doing irreversible damage to their bodies, uh, and that's why this is important. And every young girl who thinks that she is a boy um, needs to be made to sit down and listen to this. And every parent who's even considering accepting this foolishness, um, they need to watch this. Helena Kirshner, you can Google her, you can put her on YouTube, uh, and she's traveling around, and, and she's doing a wonderful, wonderful work. Um, we can all pray that she gets saved. Okay, let's go to uh, the next question. Mitch says, would you please talk about Christians and swearing? Uh, I don't know what to think because there are so many opinions on this. But Mitch, this is why you knowing the Bible is true and literally the Word of God is so important. Because there's only one opinion that matters. Um, let no coarse communication come from your mouth. James says, brothers, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursings. This should not be. So, Mitch, Christians simply should not use foul language, period. And this is just another case of people trying to culturalize God 
well, you know, we live in a different time and this generation. Hey, I had the foulest mouth ever when I was in high school. And, and afterwards, we were hippies and we thought it was cool. Kids now think it's cool. The problem for me now, Mitch, is that, that I'm seeing adults, um, the, the language used now, Online, the language used, I'm talking about podcasts and anything else, the language used on cable TV outlets. Uh, and these are people that are otherwise you'd think are responsible, intelligent people, but they're not intelligent enough to use the vocabulary as it was intended. So uh, Christians just should not have any part of this. It doesn't matter. And, you know, when, when we're born again, the old is gone. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So those who have bad habits, like I did when I got saved, um, that just is, should not be a part of your new identity in Christ. Um, we've got Christians, uh, pastors, some of them, who think it's it's cool and they can make sort of a, a, a media splash. We say, we're just making it real. There's a, um, a local um, attorney here in San Antonio who has a, um, a a podcast where and he's a Christian I have no doubt he's a Christian but uh, you know it's always well we're just keeping it real you know we we're, we're just making it real and they're not making it real it's sin that's all it's sin and they're encouraging others to sin and and Jesus wouldn't take that kindly so Mitch uh, Christians just should not use foul language period. What comes out of our mouth matters, and we shouldn't be like people in this world who don't know Christ. That's been God's ambition uh, all the way back when he called Abraham, let me create a people of my very own who will be a light to the world that's lost in darkness. And of course, Israel, we know, failed miserably. Joe asks, he said, Pastor Ron, since Jesus was God, how could he grow or learn anything? You know, these are questions, Joe, that we don't really have answers to. We know that he did because the Bible says that he grew. Imagine Jesus going through his his childhood years and his teenage years. Uh, we see Jesus at 12 years old. We see him as an infant. We see him at 12. And then we see him again around 30 years of age. But he grew and he learned. He he lived life like a man. He was 100% man while being 100% God. And he didn't use the God part of him to or, or the God identity to, um, uh, to learn things, to know things. Um, amazing. I mean, he learned to be a carpenter from his stepfather. Um, he learned from other rabbis as he would sit. Um, at at their feet when they taught. Uh, imagine what family devotions were like in Jesus' house. So, um, again, I, I don't know, he, he, he veiled his deity, Philippians chapter 2, that's a kenosis of God, it's called. Uh, he veiled his deity. And like every other child, he learned how to do stuff. He learned to walk. Um, he, he learned to speak. Um, that's just part of the process of becoming a human and growing up. And Jesus was no different than we were in that regard. So I hope that is satisfactory, Joe. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Troy says, are Paul's instruction to women only for church or does it also apply to government leaders? Now, Troy, I'm going to guess what you mean here. Um, the um, wives submit to your husbands, um, uh, submitting to the authority of a male figure in a, in a, in a church setting, those kind of things. Um, remember, uh, the Bible's speaking to you and to me as Christians. So this has nothing to do with people in the world. If, if, if uh, there's a woman who is a boss at work or a woman who's running for a local public office or a woman who is going to ultimately be the president of the United States. God's word has no prohibition against that. He has nothing to say about that. That's the world stuff. He's talking about us. And so in the home, he says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, he tells us that we're all to be under authority at some point. 
Um, so the, the instructions are for Christians and Christian families only. Um, and, and the submission thing is to your own husband. It doesn't mean that men are smarter or they're naturally more spiritual. It doesn't mean that giving men uh, the, the, the position of authority um, has anything to do with qualifications. This is the way the order works out. So his instructions are only to, to women uh, in the home and in the church. Uh, the rest of it is, is um, what the world decides is okay. There's no problem. So if you have a woman who's your boss uh, or uh, you're thinking about voting for a woman running for office, more and more women are running for offices, there's no problem with any of that, Troy. So I hope that answers your question. Roy says, does the Holy Spirit ever leave a Christian even when the Christian goes back into the world? Um Roy, this is a, a little bit complicated only because uh, the Holy Spirit is given. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, He's given to us upon conversion as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That, that means God is the one who's guaranteeing our inheritance. Jesus said, if you have not the Spirit of God, you have none of him. So in order to issue a, a guarantee, then that guarantee has to be ironclad. So that's what the Holy Spirit is, a deposit guaranteeing that inheritance. Now, here's our problem. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people who um, say they're Christians, and they even look like Christians for a while, but then they drift away. I, I think of Paul writing about Demas, who is described as a loyal yoke fellow, a servant, a man who is of great help in Paul's ministry, at least at the beginning. But but uh, at the end of Paul's life, he says, uh, even Demas has deserted me because he loved the things of this world. Uh, he deserted Paul. So we don't know if that means that he was saved or not saved. Uh, here's what we know. We know that if, if, if somebody ever really is saved, the Holy Spirit never leaves. Now, we can quench the Spirit we can rebel against the Spirit of God. We have real Christians who backslide and do horrible things all the time. Uh, I was just reading a story today where a pastor uh, in Minnesota was arrested uh, on a prostitution sting. Um, if, if he's really saved, he has the Holy Spirit, he's going to have to stand before God and explain that to him. But... Um, the Holy Spirit's not going to say, oh, because you did that, I'm, I'm out of here. He can't, because that would violate a promise that God the Father made to all of us. So, um, no, he never leaves a real believer. Many times real believers leave him. He's still in them, but he's dormant. I mean, he's, he's inactive because they're living in willful sin or will, willful rebellion. But he would never leave somebody uh, for whom he is a guarantee of their inheritance. Too often we see people professing to be Christians and it turns out that's just not the case. That's just not the case. And for no reason at all this morning when I was out uh, exercising and walking uh, with the Lord, uh, just, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will just bring people to mind. And uh, uh, the way I had to pray for this person when he, when he came into my heart was this. I said, Lord, he sure looked like he was yours. He produced a lot of fruit. But it's been a long time, and I don't even know where he is now, but God just put him on my heart to pray for and all I could say was, oh, Lord, please take David and, 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 and get him. You know, I don't know. He looked like he was the real thing. And, Lord, go get him, whatever it costs, go get him. So um, if somebody really is a Christian, and God knows, Galatians says God uh, will not be mocked or deceived. He knows those who are his. 
the problem, Roy, is that we don't know who are his, and we get mocked a lot. <laughs> People say they're Christians and leave all the time, and it is a real, real source of sadness uh, for somebody like me with the pastor's heart. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you have a question or a comment, here's a question from Tina. She says, I know God is in control, but when does he actually start reigning as king? The world is getting farther and farther away from him. Tina, you're right. It seems like the world has gone absolutely stark raving mad in rebellion against God. Uh, but he's he's reigning now. God is sovereign. and He is reigning now. He's just not reigning on this earth. Um, the keys to the kingdom. Um he has them, and he's going to take them, and he's going to come and, and reign on earth for a thousand years. We know that. But in the meantime, uh, he has allowed, um, with his sovereign limitations, he has allowed the devil to be uh, described in the Bible as the little g god of this world, uh, or the prince or the ruler of the air. It doesn't mean Satan's in control. It just means that God has given him a super long leash. And at this point, the devil is actually functioning as a servant of God, sort of um, determining, uh, helping to determine who really belongs to God and who doesn't. So um, he will physically reign on this earth, uh, after Revelation chapter 19 happens. But until then, God is sovereignly in control. We can It's so easy to forget that. We look around the world and we just think, Lord, it's crazy. Um, but the reality is, um, he's the one uh, who has created a plan and he's working his plan. And you can read the, the steps to that plan uh, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. And, and literally, when we get to Second Timothy chapter 3 especially, we see that our sovereign God uh, is sovereign over a world that is exactly as he described it more than 2,000 years ago, or nearly 2,000 years ago. So, Tina, uh, God's in control. Um, he still loves people. He's still waiting for people. I don't know how much longer he's going to wait. Certainly it can't be much longer. But uh, our job in the interim is to tell people about this God who is in control. Wouldn't it be nice if today would be the day he'd come and set things right? My goodness. Uh, Jeremy's asked a personal question of me. Uh, Pastor Ron, what age were you when called into ministry? I'm afraid I'm too old. Uh, Jeremy, I don't know, you don't say how old you are. I was uh, just two months short of my 40th birthday when I got saved. Uh, and, and I felt like I wasted my whole life. Um, parts of my life were good. Certainly I appeared to be successful uh, through most of my adult life. But um, I, I was called to be a pastor um, very clearly. Uh, about the six-month stage of my walk. Now, obviously, I didn't start pastoring at that point, but but that's when I knew that God had called me uh, to into to uh, a role of ministry as a pastor. So so that means I was forty. Um, I felt like I'd wasted so much time. I was in a hurry. But remember, when God called you, and whatever He's called you to, Jeremy. He knows how old you are. He knows how old you are. I've got friends now. I'm 71 years old. And I've got friends who uh, are entering a whole new phase of ministry as as they are aging and retiring from, from the roles of pastor. Um, one, one um, Alan Lauer is his name, uh, out of uh, Carlsbad, California. Um, Oceanside, California, actually. Um uh, he now has a, a, a thriving ministry, a senior ministry um, at the church, uh, in nursing homes, in the area that he's in. And, you know, he's got still enough energy to do it, and and uh, God is blessing it. Um, so um, you're never too old. 
you're never too old. Uh, I started late. Um, I've tried to make the most of the time God has given me. I'm now at that age, Jeremy, where I have to start thinking about, well, when do I stop doing all of this? Uh, I still, I love it. I want to do it. I still have good health, thank God, and and, and energy. Um, uh, so so at this this moment, I'm not ready at all to slow down. But but you're at that age when you've got to start thinking, okay, what's next for me? What's best for the church? Um, even the radio program, what's what's best, Lord? What is your plan? And I always want to be open and available. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how old we are. If the power of the Holy Spirit is still at work in our lives, um, then whatever he's called you to do, Jeremy, uh, you're not too old to do it. You're not too old to do it. So I hope that is a source of encouragement for you. God knew exactly how old you are when he called you. I was laughing. Um, I don't know whether it was Paul and I on the radio last week or or just uh, sharing a story, but when God called us to come to San Antonio, I had a pastor friend of mine who said, um, you know, Ron, San Antonio doesn't make any sense. Now, he, he loves me, and he was trying to, to, to test me, I think. But he said, uh, San Antonio's in the south. And I said, so I, I don't really understand your point. He goes, well, Paul is black. And I said to him, I said, his name was Bob. I said, Bob, I think God knew Paula was black when he sent us to San Antonio. And his explanation was, he said, hey, if I could talk you out of it, I knew God hadn't called you. And and I just said, no, we're going. And and he, he then knew that I was going to be okay. So God knows stuff. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Vincent. He says, I know Paul was faithful, but why did God allow him to be persecuted so much? Um, Vincent, the answer to that question is is really the, the same as why did God allow his son to be persecuted unto death, even death on a cross? I don't know why, Vincent, but we Western Christians, we have a sense it's really a sense of entitlement. It's almost like, okay, well, I'm a Christian. I'm doing what you've called me to do, Lord, so I shouldn't suffer. And yet suffering has always been sort of a born-again birthright of of the New Testament Christian. Uh, Paul knew. In fact, in Paul's case, remember what God told uh, Ananias when, when he sent Ananias to pray for Paul and to give him his sight back. He said, for I've shown him the things he must suffer on my account. So Paul knew in advance what he was going to suffer. And he still said yes. I don't really understand this line of thinking that, that well, if we're serving God, we shouldn't suffer. He, he Paul, calls it the, the privilege of sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. In other words, we, we become more like him when we're suffering. Jesus said they hated him, they're going to hate us. They, they, they insulted him. They're going to insult us. He said a student isn't above uh, his teacher. And so with all of those things being true, I don't know why we would think at all that there wouldn't be suffering involved. You know, uh, Peter and James both echo the same sentence, sentiment. Brothers, think it not strange when you encounter suffering or trials of many kinds. And I don't, I don't know why we think anything else other than we have so much bad teaching going on, um, Vincent, that, that we've just been sort of lulled into sort of a spiritual lethargy. But, but uh, being um, persecuted is part of it. Let's very quickly, we've got three minutes left, go to Greg from Bolverde. Greg, thank you for being the first call today. Well, Pastor Ron, I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm going to try to get through this without getting too emotional, but when you're talking about retiring and all that, I just pray that God will give you the strength and the drive and that you, you will never retire. 
uh, I met you in person uh, a few years ago and sat in your office when I was going through a very tough time with when my wife quit on me of uh, 34 years. And, um, and uh, yeah, I haven't met Paula personally, but I hope to one day. And so I just, you know, you're such a blessing. Greg, bless your heart. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. I I have decided, Greg, I'm not going to retire. I'll do something when it's time for me to stop doing this. You know, I, I can't see now. And so, um, uh, I mean, the, the writing is on the wall. I just don't know when it's going to be. And I hope it's not going to be anytime soon. We have a, a, a succession plan in place here at the church. Uh, that's just uh, something that's wise to do. And it's, it's for the safety and security of the people. But... Um, uh, when people say, when are you going to retire? I tell them, well, I'm still working on getting tired. And when that happens, then I'll talk about retiring. But no, I, I have no plans to retire. I just don't see retirement um, as a biblical option for God's servants. Uh, our ministries change. We move into other areas. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things I've been asked to do, uh, there's a group of, of um, older, um, retired Calvary Chapel pastors uh, who are traveling, they literally travel all over the, the Northern Hemisphere and um, and help struggling pastors. And I've been asked to do that, and I, I, don't, I don't travel well, so that's not something that's really going to work for me, especially now. But, but what we're going to do, uh, Paul and I, we're just going to sit here and keep serving the Lord every day and cherishing, literally treasuring every day that God gives us the opportunity to still do this. Greg, God bless you. I remember sitting with you. Hey, thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember tonight here at Calvary Chapel, our sweet summer devotions. Next to last one, Mary Ellen Klassen, pray for her. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.